Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day low actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus hey guys it is ryan i'm not sure if you know this about me but i'm a bit of a fun fanatic when i can i like to work but i like fun too it's a thing and now the truth is out there i can tell you about my favorite place to have fun chumba casino they have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus Jones. Stokes flashes it away through the covers for four, and England have won the match. Hello, welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket. Three days have gone now in the Sydney Test match, and actually, it was a better day for England, really, although it didn't start well. And a bruising day in many ways, too. A day where I suppose you'd expect. The Australian fast bowlers to pose problems they did. You'd expect the English batsmen to take blows on this slightly uneven pitch, and they did. But they they came out fighting England and came out with some pride, I think. Would you say, Simon? Yeah, I mean, it was an encouraging day for England. Uh, Fantastic from Johnny Bairstow, excellent from Ben Stokes, and one of those rumbustious late-order innings from Mark Wood depositing Pat Cummings three times into the Barongo stand for six. Oh, it, was, it was thrilling cricket while it lasted. And then, of course, you know, the, to top it off, Johnny Bairstow, was he going to get his hundred in the last over uh, before the close? A bit like Steve Waugh in a Sydney Test match you know, way back when, when he got a hundred off Richard Dawson in the final over of the day. And it, Australia had this tactic. They bowled wide of off stump uh, with a strong... Offside field, 70 offside field. He missed a couple and then eventually scythed one away down towards deep third. And, you know, just a release of joy for, for Johnny Bairstow. Inevitably, yeah, an Ashes 100, especially away from home. You know, it's a, it's a wonderful feeling. Second Ashes 100, he still ran towards the, the pavilion. He was halfway back towards the pavilion to uh, to celebrate. And his teammates, you know, were happy for him as well. And England's first 100 of the series. And, and, that, and that's been the problem, hasn't it? The first 100 of the series has come in the fourth test. Yeah. And it was his first 50 for, for, for a long time as well, actually, Bairstow, wasn't it? Because he's continually got the th- 20s and 30s and never been able to get a substantial score. Do you know, it's almost exactly five years to the day when he scored his first Test 100 at Cape Town in partnership, of course, with Ben Stokes. 258 Stokes made in that case. And I think they put on almost 400, actually, in, yeah. in South Africa. It was the something like the 5th of January 2016. 
So, and that was a momentous day for, for, for Bearstow, particularly. Um, Cape Town, a special place for him and his family. His father spent a lot of time playing out in South Africa and his mother was there uh, on the day when he, when he got his first Test 100. It was a big 100 as well, 150. And, and you felt then he'd sort of broken through. And it's funny, but sort of since then, because partly because of his invol involvement in the England One Day side, a tremendously successful participation in that opening the batting against the white ball that's compromised slightly his progress in test cricket and so this has been I think is it's his seventh test hundred but you, you would have expected him to have probably added more than that in the time both Stokes has got 10 test hundreds and in a way Bairstow's no lesser player but you know because of the compromising of playing one day cricket also keeping wicket being in and out of the team a bit uh, he hasn't quite progressed as perhaps he would have hoped. Yeah, and up and down the order as well. You know, I, I'm, I've, I've said this many times before. I thought best of keeping wicket and, and batting, you know, seven was working, but they wanted something different. They wanted more from Johnny Bester because they thought he was a more talented batter than the number seven. They gradually pushed him up the order, you know, with the wicket-keeping gloves on, and then they took the wicket-keeping gloves off him and made him bat, you know, at the higher up the order, and that didn't work. And yeah. They they sort of changed uh, something that was working because other parts of the team weren't working and they felt that he was one of the players that, that could fix it. But today you just had one of those glorious days. I was there in, in Cape Town that day. I mean, that, that was, was, I. The, yeah. that was yeah. the most amazing clobbering I think I've ever seen in, in Test cricket. They put on 399. I mean, Bester obviously played his part, but I mean, Ben Stokes was just, I mean, it was, it was a shot of ball almost, almost. An incredible day anyway. And it wasn't so incredible today, but it was a really valiant century partnership. I have, I have to say, at lunchtime, when England were 36 before, Milan was caught down the leg side, I started to think, this game could end today. England could easily be rolled out for 100. Australia on a pitch like that, do they want to bat again with the ball you know, going up and hitting gloves and things like that? You know, They might get a broken finger or a broken hand. Why not just enforce the follow-on you know, th lead of 300, I'd say, if England had been rolled out for 100? So for England to be in the position they are at the close of play is actually sort of a bit of a minor cricketing miracle, to be honest, especially in the context of what we've seen uh, so far in the series. Uh, one thing I would say, though, bottom line, Australia's still in control of this test match. As long as the weather behaves itself in the next couple of days, they're still in a, in a very good position. Unless, of course, uh, Bairstow can thrive with the, the tail uh, tomorrow. They, they probably need to score another... 70 90 runs something like that to you know to sort of drag australia back and make it harder for them to get at that really uh, big lead but you know australia's still in a pretty good position in this test match and you you'd back them to causing them some problems on the final day well you would and th they've just got more potency with the ball i was very impressed actually the way scott boland bowled today only his second test and you know the man who was picked at the MCG, a sort of horses for courses, home territory and all that, because he, he took an incredible six for seven, and that was a, that was sort of beginner's luck in a way. But, you know, this game, the, today, he bowled immaculately, I thought, in his first five or six overs and showed what can happen on this pitch if you just jag away at a decent length and the ball just darting this way and that and lifting off a length as well quite awkwardly. Cummins and Stark clearly... Uh, posing problems and then of course you've got Cameron Green as well to to get the ball to lift alarming in his first four overs he didn't concede a run so you know they really have got the armory Australia for this pitch I mean it started so badly for England didn't it and you know wasn't it interesting to, to what it was interesting to watch 
uh, Hasib Hamid batting today. Obviously, demanding conditions, high-class bowling, an awkward pitch. But he bore out a lot of what Nick Compton was saying in the virtual cricket club the day before. If you listen to our podcast after the second day's play, we've got some extracts from Nick Compton's interview, and he talks quite strongly about Hasib Hamid's technique and how it's just not up to the standard required to, to negotiate this kind of bowling. He's, he's, his arms are away from his body. He can't get his head and his balance forward into the shot when necessary and you know, totally exposed today. A good ball from Stark, swung in a little bit, but you know, just a massive gate between bat and pad and the, the bat way ahead of, of the body and uh, just, just a hopeless attempt to combat a good delivery. You know, you've been saying all along, yes, there are going to be good deliveries bold in this series, but you've got to be able, to, as a test player, you've got to be able to survive some good deliveries. And uh, particularly Hamid, and to a lesser extent Crawley, are not appeared to be capable of doing that. Crawley out also, big, big booming drive to Scott Boland, a, a ball which wasn't a, a half volley, and nipped back through the gate. Again, a good ball, but could have been better negotiated with a, a more sensible shot so you know again we've got these these issues of technique uh, about top order England players r- looking horribly deficient yeah it's going to be interesting to see what they do for the well a the next test match and and b for for West Indies the next series where they have a you know complete rethink at the top of the order I mean they've already had a, so many rethinks that's the problem they use so many openers and of course you know Crawley and Hamid are opening because uh, you know, Burns and Sibley have, have been uh, dispatched. It may be, who knows, it may be that Burns comes back into the side uh, for the next Test match you know, for the West Indies. I mean, Hamid is you know, having a really wretched time of it. I hear a couple of 20s at the Gabba in the first game. Actually, I thought he looked, you know, he looked reasonable, but you know, he, he, I don't think he's, he's never threatened to score sufficient runs in this series. I, I have to say, I did fear for him. And if you, you know, listen, go back to some of our, our back issues, I did worry about his ability to, to score in Australia. And, you know, it's another single-figure score from him, five single-figure scores in a row. And what do they do now? Do they just say, well, it's, it's not working. He's got one more innings, of course, in, in, in the second innings, if something might come of that. But, you, you know, the way he's going... you. you you wouldn't say that's necessarily going to be the case. And, and I, I actually agree with Nick Compton. This idea that it was, was the weight of, were the weight of runs there that sort of demanded Hamid be, you know, be picked and come back in the side. I mean, you know, he, I, I mean, I was in India and he was a hugely, it was a hugely promising start to his test career uh, you know, four or five years ago. But, you know, he's had that dip and he's come back and he has done well, but was it right to pick him now? Well, they, they, they've thrown him in a couple, a couple of half centuries against India, but a lot of uh, low scores as well. I, what, what I would do, I think, is I would take him to definitely, you know, he's a very good player of spin. So, you, you, you know, you, would, you want him in, in Asia, for example, playing against uh, you know, teams like India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, whatever. But India uh, have got know. some of the best fast well, bowlers. So well, they have. Well, they have. I suppose that's, you know, that's part of the problem. Not, and Pakistan. Yeah, I, um, you know, I think um, this this idea that you want to be that when you go to India, you need to be a good player of spin is almost a bit redundant. Now you've got to be a good player, basically all round player. Listen, I'm just going to read you, by the way, if you want a clue. I mean, not that this is really rocket science, but if you want a clue as to why England have uh, performed so badly in this series, the opening partnerships uh, tell you the story. Really, at the Gabba opening partnership of naught, that was obviously the first ball of the series. 
and 23 in the second innings. Adelaide, 7 and 4. MCG, 4 and 7. And SCG, so far, 22. So only two of the seven opening partnerships so far in the 20s and none further than that, and, and most in single figures. That's one basic reason why England are in this terrible plight. I, I I agree with Hamid. Uh, um, yeah, there there are potential problems with Hamid against uh, Indian bowlers away from home, and of course Pakistan bowlers as well. They've got a decent pace attack as well. The only thing I would say probably is that the pitches don't bounce as much in, in India and Pakistan as they do in in Australia. So you, you might think that he might be able to get through against the the, the pacers in in those countries, and then you know clearly he is a good player of spin, but you know. He, there's a, it's a work in progress. Yeah, uh, and it is a work in progress. And I would just, as I said yesterday about for, you know, young England bowlers or even experienced England bowlers, watching how someone like Stuart Broad or James Anderson approaches an over and how they manipulate a batsman around the crease, I would also say more every England batsman, every batsman in the world should watch just the first two overs of Root's innings today. I know Root got a duck and... Okay, that can happen. He, he got you know, a goodish ball. It probably wasn't a great shot early in his innings. Very good catch by Steve Smith as well. But I just thought it was interesting watching Root defend his first 10 deliveries after Crawley got out, playing a booming drive at a length ball, you know, sort of break, stiff front leg and bat miles out in front of the pad, ball getting through the gate, good ball, but you know, still poor technique. And... I just watched Root play the same bowler and the same sort of balls just after that, about eight or nine of them. Uh, Scott Boland attacking the stumps, a little bit of nip back in from just outside off stump, a good length. And Root on the crease playing it as late as possible alongside the ball, not trying to drive it, just allowing the ball to come to him and playing it with a nice soft hands and a dead bat and watching the ball right onto the bat all the way. And rather than seeking some kind of expansive drive early on, I know Root failed today, but his technical excellence needs a lot more uh, marketing, if you like, promotion, uh, ex ex exhibition, you know, to show this is how you play in Test cricket. Because it's a, it's a mask, even though he got naught today, actually those first balls he faced today was exactly how you need to play. And not enough other England batsmen are able to do that. Scott Bowling bowled a really tight line actually to him, but the ball that got him out, he he bowled a bit wider, and I, I don't know whether Root thought, well, this is a four ball, didn't he? I think that was that was the point, and he, he sort of played a sort of flick, a sort of strange shot at, a sort of flick stroke at it, uh, rather yeah. than a horizontal back cut shot. It was, it was like a sort of flick straight back stroke, and he nicked it to Smith, and Smith took a, a really good catch. So perhaps not, perhaps don't show them the way uh, Root was out. Got, show, yeah, no, quite. Because <laughs> no. they well, all there get There are so like many that. other examples in this series of, mm. of the excellence of Root's technique. So mm. yeah, maybe uh, today was one to, to miss out on. Yeah, I, I, I accept what you're saying about the early balls, but not necessarily the, the, the one that uh, dismissed I, him. I suppose my point was that it was the same bowler who just got Crawley out playing uh, the wrong way and Root demonstrated how to play those balls the right way that's all yeah and then soon after root was out uh, milan just sort of emphasizing the the tricky nature of this pitch especially in say perhaps in the first 30 40 overs when the ball's a bit harder 
He got wrapped on the gloves twice by Cameron Green. And people say, well, why didn't England, why weren't England's bowlers able to exploit this? Well, they're not perhaps as tall and not generally as, as quick. I mean, Broad's obviously tall, but he's not as quick mm. as, you know, Cummins and, and Stark and, and, and Green. And so, you know, Milan taken on the glove twice and then at the ledge down the leg side a ball that was about glove height and they had that leg slip in and you know for it worked for Australia England employed the leg slip a, a lot in this series Australia went with it and Kawaja took the catch so 36 for four it was all over it was it, surely you know it was going to be a procession and then superb partnership between uh, Stokes and Bairstow but a really bizarre passage of play either side of lunch England went I mean, it's incredible really you, sometimes this happens you know when you're blocking out for a draw on the final day but 70 balls without scoring either side of lunch I mean, I mean it's a remarkable statistic and the roar went up when Stokes played one back of a square for a single on the on the offside and then, but once they got going actually they played really fluently and Bairstow's innings and one Stokes you know tremendous sort of counter-attacking uh, batsmanship Mm. And you'd think what could have happened, what they could have done, if, say, England would, had been 100 for four instead of 30 for four, just if those openers could get a little bit further into the innings and protect the middle order more, then, you know, Stokes and Bairstow could have, I mean, it wasn't the pitch to put on 399 like at Cape Town, but they could at least have put on 150, maybe even 200. And the bowlers get dispirited and... The ball goes soft and the fielding isn't quite as keen. You know, men are scattered rather than slips and short legs and so on. And it's amazing how momentum can change. I thought Stokes played really well. Uh, you know, he he moved around the crease. He came up, up the pitch a bit to Boland at times to try and put him off his length. You do have to do that, I think, when you've got a bowler like that. Um, he took on the short ball occasionally. He obviously is in quite a lot of pain. And so you're probably right. This is his last uh, hurrah, really, of this series. And and actually, Bairstow, yeah, also pugnacious. I thought he played the spin really well. He didn't allow Nathan Lyon to dictate at all, swept him and sort of bunted him over deep mid-wicket and get, got off for the back foot and hit him through the offside, forced Lyon to go round the wicket, then forced him to go back over the wicket, didn't allow him to, to build up any pressure. And it just put the pressure back on Australia a, a bit. And it was a shame when that, that partnership ended, really. Uh, it was a, there was that funny one also. I mean, a little bit of luck for England. There was that strange one where Stokes left it and the ball cannoned into the stump and didn't take the bails off. And then he was given out LBW, uh, <laughs> weirdly. And then obviously on a re review, everyone realised what had actually happened. So, you know, I, I think it was an impressive effort by... Two of the sort of doughty, experienced campaigners in the England team showing what fight and a bit of belligerence can can do. I think three things happened today that that haven't happened before in this series. One is that Australia missed chances; they dropped uh, three catches, and England had a bit of luck as well. You, know, you mentioned that one where Stokes was bowled in inverted commas, and the ball hit the the top of the off stump. Australia dropped three catches. Uh, Stokes was one of them actually a caught and bowled chance to Cummins when he, he'd made nine uh, Carey dropped one diving away to his right hand side Harris at short leg that would actually have been a superb catch if Harris had, had taken Crawley away to the right hand side those those early ones didn't actually matter that much the Cummins one did I mean it's one of those that you know sometimes sticks sometimes doesn't as a, a caught and bowled chance but it was you know two hands straight back at him so Australia dropped catches the, the other thing that happened today that hasn't happened so far in the series is that England were able to get 
on top of Nathan Lyon. And, and it just shows how you can put the pressure back on a team if you can disrupt Lyon actually because he's their controller it seems to me you know they've got the attackers with the with the pace bowlers but he's their controller okay he does attack in the second innings and he does pick up wickets in the first innings but Lyon today he'd gone at 2.1 runs per over in the series but today 12 overs a one for 71 actually it's probably it's quite a it's a key moment and a big moment he, he, when he pinned Stokes LBW. And the third thing that happened today is that Australia lost a bowler because Scott Boland was off the field for the, the whole, pretty much the whole of the final session. He couldn't bowl in the in the last session, so that puts pressure back on the the opposition as well. England had to deal with that on the second day when when Stokes uh, went in the side. You're right; it was like casualty ward X today. Uh, yours, you know, Boland got an injury, Stokes playing with injury, best uh, wrapped on the. On the glove, a nasty one. He's going to have an X-ray to, to to see where that, well, see what the situation is, see what what sort of damage uh, was done by that that snorting uh, delivery. But I mean, you know, he, he he actually battled through. I think it was on 61 when he was hit. But he battled through and uh, a fine hundred. I was in my father's old study last week. He passed away four years ago, but the room is still full of all his team sheets and address lists and other paraphernalia connected to running Colts teams at Ealing Cricket Club. He spent most of his evenings on the phone trying to book pitches and assemble junior teams and persuade parents to help with transport. There were constant dropouts and excuses and other issues. It was a right old headache. What he would have given to Spond. Spond is an app that is perfect for sports coaches, enabling smooth communication between team organisers, coaches, players and guardians. It's easy to use and totally secure. Spond works across any device and even allows you to share files, schedules, manage single or multiple events, make payments and send group and private messages. It even syncs with your calendar. And it's free. Half a million coaches already subscribe to it. Spond takes the hard work out of teamwork. My dad would have loved it. Go to www.spond.com. What, what, here's a question for you then, Yoz. Butler came in out for naught today. What do they what do they do with uh, Josh Butler? What do they do with Johnny Bairstow? Do they give the the wicket keeping gloves back to Johnny Bairstow? And is is it is it the is, is Josh Butler sort of coming naturally? to the end of his Test match career and focus mm. on, on white ball cricket? Where, where, where do you see it? Or is that just a sort of knee-jerk reaction to a disappointing series played under sort of COVID restrictions and pl- the players have been in a bubble and away for a long time and it's an unnatural situation? Can you can they afford to just jettison a player like Josh Butler like that? Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a really good question. And I, I, I mean, one has to be very sensitive about looking at this situation because if you are setting up a, a sort of, if you like, duel between Butler and Bairstow for who keeps the gloves, who's the wicketkeeper batsman going forwards, and obviously Ben Folks will be in that equation as well. Yeah, there is. They're two very different men, Bairstow and Butler. Uh, both obviously tremendous cricketers and workers and fitness addicts and so on, and they're also uh, you know very very good white ball cricketers. We we all know that. I think that uh, the difference between them partly is that Joss Butler now has two children and ha- has a very happy family life in Clapham in southwest London. And I- I've seen him with his wife and 
when they only had one child in the summer, their their daughter, and th- there's this sort of happiness about it. There's a real contentment when he's you can see it uh, 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 in his family. And I'm not saying that other members of the team are not also happy with their families, but there's just an obviously a, a draw for for Joss towards his sort of family and and his life, you know, at home domestically. I think he loves all that. Johnny Bairstow is not married and doesn't have kids. And I think when you have kids, it does change your perception. Not everybody, but I think as a professional cricketer, particularly when you start having children and you see the, 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 the you know, you become much, much more paternal and, and you know, often involved in your family. I think it can change your perception on, on your professional life as a sportsman. And I just sort of feel that Joss is drawn more towards the bosom of the family than perhaps some players. And that's very difficult to to manage when you're, or rather, you know, being in bubbles like they've been for so long. Um, You know, in his case, playing in the World T20 and playing in the IPL and, and obviously now in Australia, it's really tough. And I can sort of see it in his face that he's just finding the going really gruelling. It, it sounds a sort of weak excuse for not playing well in Test cricket, but, you know, these emotional things are, are powerful and, and have a big effect on you. And I, I just feel that it may be that the time has come to say that, like Moen Ali, who has pulled out of Test cricket because he can't, he just couldn't handle the endless tours. And again, a family man, very close to his kids. I just wonder whether Butler will, will, will come to a conclusion that, look, I, I just can't do this anymore. I want to do white ball cricket. I want to play in the franchise cricket. That's maybe where my best skills lie and not do these long test match tours. And, uh, you know, what is it, 96 runs in seven innings in this series, a few drop catches. I mean, no lack of commitment, no lack of uh, attention to detail and focus, but it's just it's just not happening is it and you know then that may be a, a contributory factor yeah and that that may well happen and we'll find out fairly soon because the english selectors will have to pick a squad to to go to the west indies and it, there'll be lots of interest you know in who who is in and, and who's out in that party so if if it's not to be josh butler is it going to be johnny bester with the gloves do you think or is it going to be ben folks do, do england need a sort of a sort of total reset and say actually bester bat five, six, whatever, and, and and folks keep wicket? Or do they go back to Johnny Bairstow with the gloves? Does that seem a bit too retro? Uh, no, I don't think it does. Uh, I remember, actually, when Johnny Bairstow brought his book out, uh, his book about his life, autobiography, well, well it was a, a, a book actually written by Duncan Hamilton, uh, a sort of biography, really. Uh, and uh, I talked to him on the day we actually uh, presented that to an audience at Headingley, and I said, "What you know, what's your... Aim. This is about three or four years ago now, and I said, "What's your target?" You know, and he said, "I want to play a hundred. I want to be the first player to play a hundred tests for England as a keeper batsman." And at the time, he played I don't know thirty-five tests as wicketkeeper batsman. Um, he's probably played uh, maybe about fifty or something like that. But he he def- desperately wants to be the wicketkeeper batsman for the England Test team. I'm pretty sure of that, and. So why not? He's a, he's a very good keeper. He's, he's probably, there's not much to choose with him and Butler. You know, they both had their great days and, and lesser, lesser days. But 
it's a question of whether he thinks he can handle it, where they want him to bat. If he's going to bat in the top six, he probably shouldn't be the keeper. Mm. If he's going to bat at seven, he could be. He's played 80 test matches, Johnny Bairstow. As you say, it was his seventh hundred today. He's second in Ashes cricket, both those away from home, one in Perth and one at the SCG. And it was a it was a glorious counter-attacking innings. And, and one of the other features um, of England's batting today, the batting of Stokes and the batting of, of Bairstow. And also another player who took the spotlight for a, a a short while today, but a really important stand with Johnny Bairstow was, was Mark Wood. And Mark Wood uh, today did something that no other player has done in Pat Cummins' uh, international career, and that is hit Cummins for three sixes in an inning. So Mark Wood, uh, it's all thumbs up to him, uh, depositing Cummins three times into the Brongle stand. It was magnificent. It reminded me a little bit of Darren Goff when he when he played a, a, scored a runner ball fifty at the the SCG back in ninety four five. That's rolling back the years. But there was an ebullience to to Woods batting, and it, it sort of characterised England's fight back uh, today. But it, overall, uh, how, how's this game gonna gonna play out? Uh, do you think, Yoz, in, in conclusion, uh, Australia still have a you know, 150 odd run leading, they have three wickets left. There are still two days left in the Test match. The pitch is a, you know, it's a bit up. It's not so much down at the moment, but it's a bit up. Um, where's it heading, do you think? Good point about Mark Wood, by the way. Uh, th- there's a joy and fun about his batting, which I really like, and, and actually no lack of ability either. Clearly, um, he's already made a Test 50. And I saw him actually, again, filming this documentary last year and watching him batting in the nets at Ashington, his home club. And he really does take his batting seriously. And he's got talent. And in fact, as a young man, as a sort of teenager, he was a very good batsman uh, whose bowling sort of developed almost quite late in a way. Uh, Where's this game going? Well, I mean, England are going to concede a lead of 100, probably a bit more. Uh, that's a massive lead on this pitch. It's a pitch which is only going to get worse. Uh, obviously, England also don't have Stokes to bowl, so they're going to be a man down in the bowling attack. So I can see Australia rattling up 200 for seven or something, maybe a bit more, 240 for eight, something like, something like that, and setting England 350, 360 to win, and they'll get rolled. That's how I see it. How do you see it? Yeah, I'm pr- pretty similar, I think. Yeah, I think that Australia's lead will be big enough for them to press on. I suppose the thing for England is to get as close as they can to Australia's total, make them back for, for as long as possible, and then try to hold on the final day. And they'll also hope to have a bit of you know weather assistance as well. I can tell you that uh, Kent wicketkeeper batsman Sam Billings has been added to the England's the England squad as cover. He's out here uh, playing in the big bash. And what I'm thinking about there, well, Bester took a, a blow on the glove today and a Butler took a blow on the back of the hand yesterday. So it may be, you know, we saw Josh Butler come out today, get naught. It may be that Butler's got a, an issue with his left hand. You know, there may be a, a mm. who knows, there may be a break there. We don't, we don't know. Uh, Bester's having an X-ray. Obviously, there's a bit of an issue there in terms of of keeping wicket yeah. in, the, in the short term. Uh, Ollie Pope, Ollie Pope was uh, off off to the nets today to do some wicket keeping practice, and now Sam Billings has been added to the squad with one Test that, match to go in Hobart. That's interesting. So, you know, and, 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 and Sam Billings has been having a great time with Sydney Thunder in the Big Bash. And when we were talking at the end of last year about 
England's sort of test match prospects and who could come in, who could change their horrible run of uh, defeats and, and poor performances of late. Uh, in, is there another player out there who hasn't yet played for England? And I think Billings is one. And, you know, he hasn't got an incredible first-class record, but he's he's decent. He's made hundreds at first-class level. He's batted in the top four for Kent. He's one of those multi-talented cricketers, or even sportsmen, who you could sort of feel could elevate his game to, to test level. Obviously, he's a keeper as well. I, I, I think he's someone that uh, to keep an eye on. Ben Folks, obviously, as well. As, as two potential successors to, to the Bairstow-Butler era, if Bairstow isn't going to carry on keeping wicket. Uh, and uh, interesting, by the way, he's, he's, I just looked it up, he's, he's kept wicket in 49 of his 80 test matches. So he's on the verge of, uh, of getting to the half century there. Uh, it, so many questions for England to answer, uh, and not many answers at the moment, sadly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in, in the short term, there, there are injury question marks over Butler, Bairstow and Ben Stokes. Uh, it's, it's funny, isn't it, how these actually still happen? I mean, I remember a, a, a past tour when there, you know, so many players, I mean, well, not just one past, or many past tours when it, you know, so many players get injured by the, the fifth test, the team that's very different from the one that, that started in the first test. But I mean, by, by the sounds of it, I mean, that, that puts a big question mark over Butler's participation in the, in the next test match, potentially. We don't know the, the full details there. And obvi obviously Ben Stokes as well, uh, with his side injury, you know, you, you, you're not, he's not going to recover in time for, for Hobart. And we'll, we wait and see what is the situation with Johnny Bairstow. But in the, in the short term, England, England battled away today. They, they sort of regained a bit of pride. First hundred of the series. We'll, we'll see how it, it plays out tomorrow on the fourth day. A lot, a lot depends on the weather. But you feel there's enough time uh, left in the game for Australia to, to press home their advantage. But if, you know, for once in this test series today, the Oz, they were, they were pushed onto the the back foot or at least they weren't on the front foot okay well thanks for those thoughts simon and uh, let's hope for some real rearguard work from england on the fourth day we'll be back to talk to you about that this time tomorrow see you then <laughs>